So let me preface before we get in here. We're going to go in chapter 28. You know what? Why don't I pray and then I'll preface. So, Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the God of the entire earth, Lord. You're the God of our church, Father. You're the God of this county, of this city, Lord, of this state, Father, of the neighboring states, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your good and your perfect will. And that's what we ask, Lord. Your good and your perfect will being done in our lives and in the lives of this city, Father. Give us wisdom how to walk out, Lord, what you desire for us. And I pray, Lord, as I share this word that you've placed on my heart, Lord, help me and my frailty to get it out, Lord, in a good way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, preach the sermon that each person needs to hear in their own hearts, Lord. You are the one that teaches, Lord. And I pray that you would reveal Jesus in a new way to each person, Father. Those that are joining us online, Father. Those that will hear the podcast later on. Father, I just pray, Lord, let your good and perfect will be done in their lives, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for it. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I, my middle daughter is a nurse in North Carolina. And so I talk to her probably at least two times a day. More, sometimes more. When she gets to five, I just say, uh, okay, this is your fifth call. This is your last call of the day. No. Uh, but I do enjoy talking to her and talking with her life and what's going on. And she called the other day and she said, okay, Dad, I had this dream and it's freaking me out. And I said, okay, what happened, hon? And she said, I had this dream. Uh, by the way, my three daughters are fairly prophetic uh, in their gifting, okay? Uh, so before you shut me off or turn me off, let me explain and talk the health and the balance of this before you jump to what you think I might be implying by that. Okay, so anyway, she had this dream, and in the dream, uh, there was this humongous storm coming, and she was frantically trying to get her apartment in order and stuff because this storm was coming like tornado type, you know, and that's, she woke up with this impending storm. And she called me and she said, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. What's going to happen? Is, the, is Satan going to attack me? And, you know, and all these, these things. And uh, I just began to share with her uh, what I feel about the prophetic and with dreams. And the Lord uses dreams to get our attention. But often what I have found, and, and David is free to speak more to this because he's had a lot more experience with dreams. But what I have found is the dream and the, uh, the interpretation of the dream is usually far different than what you're actually seeing in the dream. And the application of the interpretation, which are the three parts of prophetic. You have the prophetic word, you have the interpretation of what the Lord is actually saying through that prophetic word, and then the application, how do you actually apply what you feel the Lord is saying from the prophetic word, okay? And you can screw up on all of that. And so that's why we submit our words one to another and, and check each other and, and judge the spirits and all of that because we can screw up and we remain humble in our, we don't see clearly, uh, so we remain humble in that. So I, I just began to uh, uh, counsel her to take her dream and instead of running with the application and the interpretation that something bad is going to happen in her life, why don't you take storms and look them up in the Bible and see how people reacted to them? Maybe the Lord is trying to get you to look at storms in a different way. And so a couple of weeks went by and she called me up 
And she said, you won't believe this. I said, sure I will, but come on, shoot me. Shoot it out of me. And she said, well, I uh, remembered a storm. I looked up storms and studied, you know, the basic ones, Jesus in the boat, you know, Noah in the flood. You know, there's been different storms like that, but I found one that I had totally forgotten about, and I was reading it, and the Lord spoke to me. I was like, way to go, girl. What storm was it? And she said, well, it's the storm in Acts 27 and 28 where Paul is on his way to Rome and there, he goes through this terrible storm and they drift for two weeks and crash land on Malta. Do you remember this story? It's in Acts 27. I could read the whole chapter, but it begins with verse 13 and on. If you want to go back and read it, I'm not really talking about the shipwreck as much today as I am talking about once he gets on the island in Malta. And uh, so I'm going to share with you uh, the revelation that she got, which surprised the heck out of me because I had never thought about it. And I love hearing from people what the Lord's speaking to them because often it's like, huh, I didn't even think about that. Okay? So here we go now. Acts 27, verse 13 through 44. We see Paul being sent to Rome on a boat as a prisoner. And this boat takes off on this journey and it encounters this storm after multiple stops, encounters this storm, and the storm is bad. And they do their best. There's a lot of uh, sailor language in here, uh, which is fun. They, they go to the lee of the island. Anyone know what the lee, L-E-E, -E, of something is? It's the downwind, the outside of the wind of it side of it. So it, it was, it, if you read it, you're like, oh, there are some boat words that you got to look up here to understand what they're saying. But they're traveling along, and the, Paul gets this, in the midst of this situation, Paul's in the middle of this storm, and he hears the Lord, everything's going to be okay, and they won't lose anything if they do this. And so he tells the captains, hey, don't do this. You know, do, do this and everything's going to be okay. But they don't believe him and they continue on and they end up losing all of their cargo. So they uh, go through a massive monetary loss because they could not receive the word from Paul, which is understandable because here's this crazy Jewish prisoner that they're bringing to Rome and these are all Romans, you know, and they're like, oh, why are we going to listen to this nut, nutcase? We're, isn't he a prisoner, you know? And uh, only by the grace of God do they not kill him because they were going to kill the prisoners as part of the getting rid of the weight. And uh, the centurion who was over Paul stops him and says, you know, don't, don't kill. We're not going to kill the prisoners. And Paul survives. And Paul again tells them in the midst of this, they spend 14 days just floating, being driven across the sea without eating. So 14 days of fasting, everybody on board, thinking they're going to die at any moment. Paul says, hey guys, I just need to tell you, everything is going to be okay. I have seen an angel, and he told me it's going to be fine. And so then they land on Malta. And verse, or chapter 28, verse 1. After we had brought safely through this, uh, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And Malta is located for those, uh, it's at the bottom of the boot of Italy. Right off the bottom of the boot, there's a little tiny island in the Mediterranean, and that is Malta. Okay, so he's fairly close. He's made it all the way from Jerusalem across the Mediterranean Sea to this island, which is just south of Italy. 
uh, for his destination in Rome. The native people, verse 2, showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Have you ever noticed that Paul's not a complainer? How would you like to be serving the Lord, get arrested, thrown in jail for two years, and then finally, be out of frustration, go, you know what, I appeal to the Supreme Court. Okay, well, we were going to let you go, but since you appealed to the Supreme Court, this case has to move forward. We're going to stick you in a boat, and we're going to send you to Rome to talk to Caesar. Yeah, I used Supreme Court, but he said Caesar. And so they stick him in this boat, and nothing but bad things happen, and everything's destroyed. He almost gets killed. He's soaking wet. He's hungry for two weeks. And it gets to this island, it's rainy and cold. They're delivered, but it's rainy and cold. How many like being in rainy and cold? There you go, man. True, true man right there. <laughs> so here's Paul, and he's not complaining. At least it's not recorded. They're thankful for the kindness of the Mal Malta Maltese. Maltese Falcon. Uh, Maltese who uh, build up a fire for them. And so Paul gathers a bunch of sticks and he goes to put them in the fire. And suddenly out of the bundle of sticks, what a bad day. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto Paul's hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, got to be that this guy's a murderer because he escaped from the sea, but justice has found him. Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, if you remember, this was Maddie's revelation. Patty, or Patty, <laughs> Paul was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. The Maltese saw correctly. The viper was bringing demonic justice. Paul was a murderer. Paul killed Stephen and multiple other Christian believers. But Paul, in the midst of this, when this snake took a hold of his hand, He didn't go, oh, no, yeah, <laughs> throw it out there. Yeah. He just said, oh, and shook it off. He didn't hold on to it. Oh, no, what a bad day. I am worthy of this. It is true. I am a murderer. I deserve this. <clears throat> this must be the justice of God against me. He looked at it and said, hey, this doesn't belong to me. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. Let's, let me throw this back into the fire from whence it came. How often do we walk around with snakes, vipers from the enemy attached to us? Well, this is just my lot in life. I made some dumb decisions. Yep, it's a pain, but you know, 
This area of my life is dead because this snake grabbed a hold of me. My marriage will always be this way. My finances will always be this way. My family relationships will always be this way. Because I did some dumb things and this viper's grabbed a hold and it's justified. I'll always be a failure. I'll always be this way. I can never do what the Lord's asked me to do. You know, just whatever the argument is from the enemy, that is probably a correct argument outside of the blood of Jesus. And instead of holding and keeping that pet as a snake, let's take it home and create, a, what do they call those, terrariums? Uh, snakeariums? And keep it, let's keep it as a pet. Oh, hi there. Oh, yeah. Good to see you today. They're like, you know what? You're disgusting. I don't want anything to do with you in my life. The blood of Jesus says you're not justified. You're a liar. And I look to the blood of Jesus. So I shake it off. You know, shake it off did exist before that one singer decided to make a song about it. Just, just note, it was a popular saying, you just got to shake it off. We used to say this back in the 80s, long before this song, okay? So how do you get to the point, like Paul, where when the enemy attacks, you're just like, without hesitation, not even going to care about it. Going about my business, not part of me, and move on. How do you get to that point? Because I'm sure if you're like me, there are areas in your life where something grabs a hold of you and you, you like hold on to it for a while and the poison fills you. And it, to the extent of how long you hold on to it is the extent that the poison fills your heart and causes pain. Maybe creates actions in your life, belief systems. You deserve this. It's amazing what these vipers can bring into the lives of believers. He's, you know, when Jesus said you need to be as wise as serpents, that's understanding. They're, they're pretty wise. They know us pretty well, and they know how to grab a hold of us and just... Do you remember as a uh, young adult? I don't know if I see this as much as with adults, but I see this with young adults of when uh, everybody around you has an opinion about you that's un incorrect, that's wrong, a bad opinion about you. And what you do is you finally just go, well, if everybody thinks that about me, then I'm just going to grab a hold of that identity and run with it. Everybody thinks I drink all the time, well, I guess I just need to start drinking. Everybody thinks I'm a whore, then I just guess I'm just going to be one. Have you never talked or counseled with anyone, young adults, who bring, in, instead of saying, wait, 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 that's a lie of the enemy, that's not who I am, and I choose not to, they grab a hold of it. So how do we stand in these areas? How do we learn like Paul did in his following of Jesus? Because I don't think Jesus ever let any kind of snake that tried to grab him have any. It was just like, whoop, you know, get thee behind me, Satan said it three times during the temp tempting when the snake would try to grab him, you know. Turn this stone into bread. He'd go, man shall not live by bread alone. Whoop. Do not tempt the Lord thy God. Whoop. 
Worship the Lord thy God only. Whoop. Just shake those things off. Well, well that's how we want to be. We want to get to that point where our eyes are on Jesus. And I think it's in every area of our life where the enemy has times where he can bite us and cause us pain, when a viper can grab a hold of us. It's in those areas where we have to learn to shake it off. How do we? I think the first one, I got two of them today. The first one is remembering the faithfulness of God. I think the remembering the faithfulness of God has to be a part of your life that just, um, oh, what's the word? Lost an English word. We're just like leaven and dough. It just permeates and goes all through and just becomes a part of who you are. The Lord is faithful. You see, Paul didn't complain. Well, why didn't Paul complain? Because he had lived a life of remembering the faithfulness of God. When you walk through enough fire in your life, when you walk through enough fire, and you walk through it in a way where you begin to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and you begin to build up, no matter what I see, I'm going to trust in your faithfulness, then, man, it loses its power over you. And Satan eventually gets to the point where, you know, it doesn't really work real well. I'm spending a lot of energy bothering this guy. It's not. So let's, let's go bother someone else where it does work. It's like little kids when they push each other's buttons. And you say, you know, if you didn't just didn't receive the pushing of the button, they would stop. It's a human nature thing. So Paul here remembered and had built himself up in the faithfulness of the Lord. How do you do that? I think it comes with uh, changing the way you think, renewing your mind, meditating on verses like Psalm 107, verse 29. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. You begin to meditate on the faithfulness of the Lord. When the options come, you begin to look for the faithfulness of the Lord. When I lost my job, I can remember when it happened. I was distraught. I called up, I think it was my sister, one of my sisters that I'm good friends with. And I just said, you know... Uh, this just took me out because I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bill. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I've got th three kids at home. What do I do? And she said, well, I, I don't know, Matt, but I do know this. You were surprised by it, but Jesus wasn't surprised. That means he has an answer. And it shifted from me trying to solve this problem outside of God's help to, okay, Jesus, Help me to hear you of your answer for this situation. And he led me to start a business. I started a business and for five years I worked that and increased prosperity and changed manhood and growth in manhood and just so many areas that he brought into my life during that five-year period. It wasn't an easy five years. I worked seven days a week, often worked three jobs. But it was a time when I learned that God is faithful. When I would come to, oh man, this bill's due. Okay, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, 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 
Forgive me if I've been unfaithful, but Lord, show me. If I need to change some, something that I'm doing wrong, show me, Lord. But Lord, guide me and direct me on how to meet this. And poof, some miraculous thing would happen. Learning to walk and understand in the faithfulness. This is a lifetime journey, guys. This is a lifetime journey. But the further you go on in your belief and going down deep and putting down roots in the faithfulness of the Lord, the easier it gets when you get go through difficult storms or get attacked by a snake to shake it off and go, okay, I don't know, but Jesus does. I'm going to trust him. Shake it off, shake it off. I think the second and number two, and probably the main one, that I want to emphasize today is understanding your identity in Christ. Paul knew who he was. Dear Lord, he wrote most of the New Testament by this time and uh, you know, was telling us who we are in Christ. It's all there. To understand that and begin to walk in it, yes, I was a murderer, but I have been forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ. It is an identity within the forgiveness of Christ. It's not an identity within ourselves. It's an identity within the forgiveness of Christ. And that, in that is what we stand. Now, what I want to emphasize is that identity within the forgiveness of Christ is not something we just kind of take lightly or uh, misappropriate or, or abuse. And it can be. People can abuse it. Well, I'm just forgiven. I think identity within the forgiveness of Christ comes through Two things. One is authenticity. You know, there's this great verse in, I think it's 1 John. Uh, it's 1 John, 2 John, or 3 John. I always forget where it is. But it says, uh, if I say I love God, but I hate my brother, I'm a liar and there's no truth in me. You know, it's one of those 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, whoop, kind of, ouch, truth things. And basically the premise behind it is, I can talk so good about this relationship, but if I don't walk it out in this relationship, I'm lying to myself. Basically is the principle behind it. Oh, Jesus, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Well, you know what? You, then I'm just deceiving myself. I'm a falsehood. I have, I have religion, but it hasn't permeated my life and actually changed my heart to where I look and smell like Jesus. Okay? Nobody getting condemnation. You get condemnation trying to bite right now. Shake, the, shake it off. Tell it to leave you in the name of Jesus. Authenticity is being real. See, you can't shake off secrets. You can't shake off secrets. It isn't like, okay, Jesus, me and you, we have this secret. No one needs to know about this. 
and I'll pretend in front of everybody else that it doesn't exist. It doesn't work. Because Satan knows there are no secrets in the, spe- in the spirit realm. Satan knows and he attacks you and just beats you up. And you're walking around with these vipers attached to you because you can't shake off a secret. Do you know how you get rid of a secret? It's called the testimony of Jesus. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It's being real. If you notice in the Bible, did you see how just open and honest everybody was? You know? Paul, yes, I was a murderer. Yes, I was a persecutor of the church. Because once you are honest and people know, it loses its hold on you. You can be authentic. You can be real and not manufactured. Now, does that mean that I need to get up in front and confess all my sins? Well, if, it, if that's what it takes for you to liberate, I guess yes. Uh, but I would start around those that love you and get real. I can remember as a 20-year-old getting real with my pastor, who was, I was the youth pastor, he was the pastor. So it wasn't like I just called the pastor up and got real with him. I I was working with him on a regular basis, so I'm not saying that you need to call me up and confess your sins to me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he was direct authority in my life, direct leadership. I trusted him. He was like a mentor, you know, and I got real with him. And I got real with my best friend. I got real with my wife about seven years into our marriage. Um, Not like I completely, but I'm just really got, okay, these, these are the issues that I deal with. I got real with everybody about being molested when I was 30. Um... I think we have built a culture of fairly real, of just being real uh, in our senior leadership team and, and dealing with it, you know, dealing with attitudes or, well, I, you know, or hearts or you guys tick me off or, or whatever, getting real and, and dealing with what we're struggling with. Because if you don't, then you have no way to shake it off. The enemy just grabs a hold and no one knows about it. You know, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, I wonder what's wrong with so-and-so today. Well, he's got this snake wrapped around his neck. Authenticity, the testimony of Jesus. I was lost. I was a fornicator. I was a liar. I was a prideful, self-righteous bigot. But thank God Jesus saved me, showed me the error of my ways. I repented of this and said, Jesus, forgive me, change me, and create in me a clean heart. That is a testimony that doesn't leave you going, Wow, I can never be like him. Wow, he's so perfect. I heard a quote this week that scared me. The quote said, We all have hidden areas of sin. But he has hidden areas of righteousness. Scared the heck out of me. I'm like, wow, that's dangerous. Not even if the, if the guy intended that to be said, just that culture is just, that's scary. 
Come on now. First one I said within that identity of forgiveness is authenticity. The second one is the realization that we all reflect Jesus through broken vessels. None of us have a perfect reflection of Jesus. And we do our best to apologize, be humble, be real, be honest. And say, what the good that you see, give praise to Jesus about it. I don't want the praise. The bad you see, Lord, forgive me. I have bad days. You guys have bad days? Reflect Jesus through broken vessels. I like what Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 3. General Electric Power Company. Verse uh, 3, he says, For we are the the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Jesus Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. How do you get to the point where that snake bites you in that situation and you just Shake it off. It comes from knowing Jesus and walking in authenticity. I may deserve that, but because of Jesus, I give it to him. I shake it off and I let him. I was, but now I am different. I'll end with a a story of a a good friend of mine. He's a pastor, uh, just a, a, a humble man that I love. And uh, I was in Bible school, so I was 24 uh, in Bible school in Russia, and he came and he was teaching, and he said, you know, guys, I just need to stop what I'm teaching. I just need to tell you, I'm an adulterer. I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but I was an adulterer. I committed adultery on my wife, and he began to just share of his sinful past. We, I mean, we didn't. It just rattled us in a really good way because it broke down the religious lies of if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to paint a picture that you're perfect because they need to know that you're perfect so that they can follow your perfection. No. They need to know that you're real. They need to know that you love Jesus. 
They need to know that you'll point them in the direction of Jesus. And that's what he did that day. He was honest about his past sin. He was honest about his relationship with his wife and how, you know, that she takes, makes sure there's no magazines in the house. You know, uh, JCPenney magazines or anything. She just takes it all out because that's the agreement they had. You know, he wants to be faithful to her. He doesn't want to look. He told us about uh, the time the Lord was dealing with him as he was walking this all out, and he was dealing with lust, and he said, I was, I'm a truck driver, and I was driving down the road, and I see this beautiful little sports car and this woman with long hair just flowing in the wind as she's driving this sports car. She, and he goes, you know what? I, I, the Holy Spirit was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. But he said, I, I did anyway. I sped up because I wanted to get a good look at her. And I pulled up there and got alongside her to look down. And it was the ugliest bearded man. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, how long are you going to play this game with me? And he said, that was the turning point when I got honest. Not just with the Lord, but with those around me. I don't want to do this anymore. This, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. This is what reality is. Uh, I want to be able to shake off when the snake comes and not go through that lie. You may have been murderers, but you're not a murderer anymore by the blood of Jesus. You may have been liars, but you're not a liar anymore by the blood of Jesus. Your identity has shifted. Walk in the health of your identity in authenticity. Am I tempted to lie? Yes. And every time it slips out, I stop myself as an example. I'm giving you an example now. I'm not really tempted to lie. But I think we all have, you know when you're telling a story and the story gets bigger and you realize at the very end that you made that story bigger than what it actually was and the Holy Spirit says, you know, you really should correct that because you've, you've made the fish bigger than what he actually was. You know. That's when, so you may be tempted to make the fish bigger, but you make sure that you correct it to get your integrity because your integrity is more important than the size of that fake fish. That's what I mean. Shake it off, guys. Shake it off. I don't want this, and my wife doesn't want this in my house, so if you really want a rubber snake, you're welcome to come grab this. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power of the blood of Jesus, which is sufficient, Father, and that you declared over us the identity of Jesus Christ. You spoke over us like you spoke over Jacob in Isaiah 43, that we were Jacob, but we have been created in the image of Israel, in the image of Jesus so, Father, I pray, Lord, as each of my brothers and sisters and anybody who hears this later on, that as the enemy attacks, as the viper comes out of the fire and bites them, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would recognize it, be authentic with those around them, confess their faults one another, deal with it, Lord, and shake off the lie of the enemy so that they can carry you wherever they go, Lord Jesus. This world needs you, Lord Jesus, and you're, we are the means that you use right now to be carried into the world. So, Lord Jesus, help us to carry you effectively, Father, shaking off every lie of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.